listening to the Simple Living Made Simple podcast. My name is Stephanie and I'm a wife, mother of five, and the creator of the blog Simple Living Made Simple, formerly Winging It on the Homestead. I am far from an expert. I am learning and growing and figuring this simple living self-sufficiency thing out as I go. But my hope is to help you refocus your life towards what really matters, your family as well as boost your confidence so you can start being more self-reliant and decrease your dependence on stores and commercial products. I love to help encourage modern mothers to incorporate simple living and self-sufficiency skills and knowledge into their busy lives. Join me this season as I interview homesteading experts on a variety of timely and important topics and share with you my appreciation for creating a homemade and homegrown life through gardening, food preservation, cooking from scratch, all while keeping it practical, intentional, and realistic. Hey guys, welcome back to the Simple Living Made Simple podcast. In this episode, I am speaking with Sharon McCaskill from The Helpful GF, and we are talking all about gluten-free living. This is something that I really never had to experience or deal with uh, before until real recently when we decided we were going to do a elimination diet for my one son who was experiencing severe eczema. So Sharon has been at someone who I have been following for a little while now, and she is just really knowledgeable on all things gluten-free. Sharon is a dedicated, registered dietitian nutritionist whose mission is to make gluten-free living not just accessible, but delightful. Her journey began as she helped her husband manage his refractory celiac disease, and her quest is to make gluten-free living a breeze. With her husband and two daughters, she's committed to helping you live a healthy, delicious, and stress-free life. She's just a lot of fun, and this conversation was really eye-opening and really helpful um, for me and my family's journey. So I hope that uh, you enjoy it, and let's jump right in. All right. Hi, guys. Welcome back to the Simple Living Made Simple podcast. Today, I am excited because I have Sharon McCaskill from the Helpful GF, who is a registered dietitian and nutritionist. And we are talking all about going uh, and living gluten-free. This is something that I've currently dealing with, which kind of blindsided by. So I'm so excited to speak with her because she is full of knowledge about how to not only start being gluten-free, but sustainably be gluten-free, like and all your meals and everything. So thank you so much for joining me, Sharon. Yeah, thank you for having me. Could you tell me a little bit about yourself um, and your history with gluten-free living or lifestyle or however you like to talk about it? Yeah, of course. So like you said, I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist, but that's actually a newer part of my journey. Um, My experience with gluten-free started about 12 years ago when I started dating my now husband and he has celiac disease. Um, I had no idea what gluten was before I started dating him. If I'm being honest, like I was kind of into food and like to cook and stuff, but like that was a whole new thing for me. I had no idea what that was. Um, And so celiac disease for anybody listening is when you're, it's an autoimmune disease when your body rejects gluten and treats it like it's some type of pathogen or toxin in your body. Um, And so then your body attacks itself to get rid of the gluten. Um, And the only thing that you can really do for celiac disease is say 100% gluten-free. So when we were dating, I would like experiment with food for him once in a while. I knew that we had to eat at special restaurants, all that type of stuff. 
But when we got married and I actually had to deal with like, this is my 24 hours a day, right? Like we have to do gluten-free all the time is when I really started kind of diving in and he was having some additional health problems. He ended up being diagnosed three years later with what we call refractory celiac, which Mm -hmm. means his body continues to act like he's eating gluten even when he's not. And that's very rare. That's not common for people who have Mm -hmm. celiac disease. Um, but through that whole process, I just really dove in and started researching and learning more. And kind of my joke was if I could do it over, I would have studied nutrition and not like business, um, (laughs) and politics, which is what I did do politics and economics, business, all that. It was kind of my joke. Like I should have done nutrition (laughs) because that would have been so helpful or at least something medical, but I don't like blood. So, you know, (laughs) um, but yeah. So a few years ago, back in 2019, I quit my job in higher education and started a program to become a registered dietitian. And I started my food blog, the helpful GF for gluten-free living. And since then, and since becoming a dietitian, it's expanded to have a lot more than just recipes. That's awesome. I mean, not awesome that, you know, he's has to deal with it. I'm sure that's hard, but I mean, is it one thing, is it something where like, cause I'm not educated on this at all, but it's something where once you have it like gluten all like out of his system, he's, he's okay. Well, I guess not with the refractive you're saying kind of, yeah, not so much with the refractory, but typically if you have celiac disease, as long as you avoid gluten, mm-hmm. um, you, your body will heal. Okay. Like I said, this is something that I really didn't know anything about until like a month ago because I never had to deal with it. And then dealing with my some of my son's like eczema issues, we decided to start going gluten-free, at least for the time being. So could you give us a really simple explanation of gluten and what it what that kind of means to be intolerant of gluten food? Yeah. So gluten is a protein that exists in barley, rye, and wheat. Um Some countries actually expand that to include oats. We currently do not in our definition in the U.S. Um, And the reason why it includes oats is twofold. One is because oats are typically grown with wheat, barley, and rye. And so it's hard to, you know, just get safe oats that aren't in contact with all that other stuff. The other reason is there is some research that shows even oats that are completely gluten-free that have never been in contact with um, barley, rye, or wheat may cause problems for people with celiac disease. And that's not across the board, but for a significant percentage of individuals with celiac. Um, my family, we've actually noticed, we have never noticed my husband have problems with oats that are grown completely separately and are tested and certified to be gluten-free. Um, but some individuals do find that to be the case. So that's gluten. Um, And celiac disease, like I said, is when you have that autoimmune response to it. But there are people that do not have celiac disease that cannot tolerate gluten. And the official term for that, you know, we say intolerant and stuff. The official term or diagnosis would be non-celiac gluten sensitivity. Um, And you get that diagnosis when you've been tested for celiac and that's been completely ruled out. But you definitely have reactions to ingesting gluten, right? It makes you sick. So yeah, that's what that would be. How does that usually manifest? Or is it like different for different people? Like it's different for different people. So we used to just think that celiac, and when I say we, I'm talking like 30 years ago, right? They used to diagnose celiac in 
people, typically children who were wasting, right? That had failure to thrive, things like that weren't growing. That was the case with my husband when he was like 10 to 12 and was diagnosed. Um, Lots of nutrient deficiencies, that type of thing. What we're discovering now is a lot of people that have celiac disease or um, gluten sensitivity, that can manifest in ways that have nothing to do with gastrointestinal issues at all or weight loss. So some people actually have weight gain, the opposite. Mm -hmm. Some people have inflammation and that could be in their joints, different areas. We see um, headaches, neurological issues. Some people get numbness. Um, tingling in like the peripheral areas, um, vision issues. So we see it in a lot of different ways. And a lot of that maybe can go back to the nutrient deficiencies, um, which is kind of what I'm most interested in as a registered dietitian, those nutrient deficiencies. But um, yeah, some people have mental health issues. That's kind of how it manifests for them. Again, if you're lacking certain nutrients, your synapses and stuff are not really quite firing, right? Right. That makes sense. Um, Like for us with, with Henry, it's his eczema. It flares Mm -hmm. up his eczema, which, so we're doing a lot of different things with him, eggs, dairy, um, huge elimination diet, uh, and then hopefully adding things back, but we'll see. I mean, we're trying to heal his gut health. So, you know, Um, so what does your meal options look like then? Like, do you kind of just avoid baking like are baked goods or are there good alternatives for if you are doing baking? Like how does that, what does that look like? We bake a lot. Um, Mm. We, I have found, so I wouldn't have said this fully back when my husband and I first got married. I would say 10, 15 years ago, it was not that simple to eat gluten-free. If we go back 20, 30 years, it was very difficult to eat gluten-free. Um, but with labeling and with the increase in diagnosing, as well as mm-hmm. individuals discovering that they have, even if they don't have celiac, they have gluten intolerance or sensitivities, um, the availability of gluten-free options is huge. And I would go so far to say, in most cases, you can find something that tastes pretty much as good um, mm-hmm. as the gluten alternative. Um, so we bake a lot. We use a lot of different alternative flours. Um, we use, my favorite is to use King Arthur measure for measure flour Mm -hmm. as an alternative for plain white flour. Um, it's kind of the closest for just general baking, but I mean, you can really get rice flour. It's a whole blend of things. So wheat flour, really it's the gluten that forms that gluten formation when you're baking, mm-hmm. um, which is why you need dough and all that type of stuff is to form that gluten formation. Yeah, We don't get that with gluten-free flours, but by doing a blend of flours and starches, we can create something similar. And so those measure for measure or all-purpose gluten-free flour blends really capture that with the blend of flours. Um, if you're going to do specific flours like almond flour or brown rice flour or coconut flour, all of which I use in baking, mm-hmm. um, it's best to use a recipe that's specifically formulated for those flours. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Just because yeah. they're not a great direct substitute, but those flour blends, I think are great substitutes most of the time. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, not to interject what we do, but like I have kind of stayed away from the baking since we're avoiding eggs and dairy. So it's mm-hmm. kind of a lot of alternatives at that point. Um, but I have noticed that the consistency 
is definitely different. Although yeah. the final product is okay, is fine. You know, like it's not like I've really noticed much different difference in like the baked good itself. It's just like the batter or the dough or whatever it is you want to call it, like looks different and acts different. Um, yeah, definitely. And uh, one thing that you can try too, that I've noticed with baking as well, um, since gluten-free grains tend to be coarser, I mm -hmm. usually mix up my product and let it sit while the oven's preheating or whatever for like 10 minutes. So I usually don't preheat my oven when I first start mixing it up. I'll kind of mix everything, hit preheat and let it sit for a few minutes before I bake it. Cause I just think it does a better job of letting those grains absorb the liquid. Um, and so if you're baking and you find that it's kind of coarse or grainy, that may be something that you can try. Interesting. Yeah. That's, that would be good. Cause I did notice, I made some pancakes. Of course it was a gluten-free mix. I'm not sure. I think it was rice flour or something, but it was um, kind of pasty or grainy or sand-like mm -hmm. or something. The final, like I said, it tasted good, but, and he was fine with it. So that's good. That, and I, I did notice that, that there's a lot of options out there. There's a lot of alternatives. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of substitutions you can make um, in some of your, you know, your things. And, and I, I was perusing your website um, and you have tons of recipes. Um, so many good recipes um, for all different kinds of uh events or meals or whatever. And so that's really been helpful also. Yeah. And there's a few gluten-free recipes on there that are also dairy-free. Actually, there's mm -hmm. a lot that are dairy-free. Yeah. I have to be dairy-free. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. That makes extra challenges in our yeah. house. Yeah. Um, but there's quite a few that are egg-free as well, dairy-free okay. and egg-free, because I have some vegan recipes. So those nice. would eliminate nice. those. So awesome. Well I'll I'll be checking out more of those because um <laughs> Yeah. Even though he's not picky, it's still, it's been difficult because he's eating the same stuff. But um, do you find that you end up relying on the same kinds of things or maybe at first or something? Yes and no. Yeah. Um, I would say at first I was trying so hard to take all of my favorite things that I always love to cook and trying to do substitutions okay. and switch this out, switch that out. And that was kind of overwhelming. Um, what I do in the day to day, I mean, we are so busy. I have, I mean, I'm working on my business stuff all day. And in the evening, my girls are competitive. Well, my oldest is a competitive dancer, but my younger one dances too. So we're at the studio literally mm -hmm. five days a week. Yeah. Um, in addition to school, and my husband coaches varsity soccer. So he's gone <laughs> all the time. So right now, like during the school year, I would definitely say we eat a lot of the same things over and over. Mm -hmm. I have those few super simple recipes that I know my kids will eat and not throw a fit about, or at least one of them will eat it and not throw a fit about <laughs> right. it, right? On any given mm -hmm. night. And we make those a lot. So I probably would say currently I have like 12 to 15 recipes that I kind of run through the rotation okay. in terms of dinners. Gotcha. Um yeah. That's kind of my thing. During the summer and on weekends is when we do a lot more baking and exploring fun new recipes and that type of thing. Gotcha. Yeah, I was gonna ask you um what some of your favorite recipes are. Do you do you have them listed on your website, you'd say on your blog? Um, not easily identifiable as my favorite recipes necessarily. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will say that when it comes to recipes, and so okay, so way back when I started my website. Mm -hmm. I put recipes up, but I would say they were not great recipes in the sense that they weren't a standardized recipe that people could 
kind of just replicate themselves. If that makes sense. I've, I've since yeah. gone back through and fixed all of that. So mm-hmm. that was the case, but that's because that's not how I cook, right? Yeah. With baking, everything has to be precise. But when it comes to cooking, <laughs> oh, I'm the same way. I am not precise. And I am very much a, like, this is my formula of how I make a dish of this kind. Yes. And I just substitute whatever protein I have, whatever grain I have, whatever, mm-hmm. right? That's how I cook. That's what that I am. I can't, I can't follow a recipe <laughs> to save my life. Like I would not, other than baking, I'm, I'm on the same. Yeah. I don't follow recipes. So I've always got some other kind of thing I'm going to try with it or. Um, yeah. And like, I would say they all follow the same formula. And I yeah. really did. I do have a course that I created called the anti-meal plan. And okay. it's kind of based on that idea that when you adjust to a new way of eating, I think it's harder to take like somebody else's meal plan. that's like, eat exactly this for each yeah. of your meals. And this is exactly here to cook it. Like I can't live my life like that. Oh. Honestly, like I can't, my family can't, if I'm going to eat it, it's not a guarantee my kids and my husband are going to eat it. Right. right. Like I just, we have things that we like to eat and it depends on what we have and what we have in the freezer mm-hmm. and what I impulse grabbed at the store that week. Right. Yeah. So that whole course is really outlined on a, like, do you want to make a meal in the crock pot or a soup in a crock pot? Here's kind of your relative proportions of this to this right. much. If it's a little dry, add a little more of this. Add yeah. That's choose helpful. a protein from this list, right? Mm-hmm. And I kind of walk through it like that. And depending on your protein, right, how long you should cook it, um, that type of thing, and to what temperature. But that's how I personally cook. But that's I would okay. say some of the things that I've adapted to be recipes on my site that are definite winners and still are in my house that we like cook a lot, right? I didn't just make it a few times and now we're kind of bored of it. Um the very first recipe I put on my site are pizza quesadillas. And my kids still eat pizza quesadillas four years later, yeah. pack them in their lunches yeah. and everything. I mean, quesadillas are simple, right? Yeah. They're easy, but pizza is one of those things that's harder to get on a gluten-free diet. And I mean, that's not true. really, you can buy frozen yeah. pizza, but like you're not just on the whim picking mm-hmm. up pizza from the local place on your way home from work or something. Right. That's not, depending on where you live, you could, but like for most, yeah. Or it's going to be super expensive or, you know, do you find that that's the case too? Yes. Yeah. It is just something you're going to have to, um, just like suck it up and deal with is that eating gluten-free is going to be more expensive. Yeah. There's no way around it. Um, the easiest way to eat gluten-free affordably is going kind of back to whole foods. And I know we say that whole foods tend to be more expensive, but if you're buying food in season, if you're buying, I mean, potatoes, rice, beans, those are cheap and those are gluten-free, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, yeah. so there are definitely some ways to keep it a little more affordable, but if you're just switching out your $1.99 bread for gluten-free bread, your loaf is going to be half the size and it's going to be six bucks. Yeah. It's going to be more expensive. Gotcha. Yeah, I definitely noticed that. <laughs> um, so what, uh, when we just talked about whole foods, so what, what would you say about sourdough? I've heard that when you're making sourdough, like the fermentation process works to break down the gluten, making it a good alternative. I don't know if that's true or not. So do you have any insight on that? That topic? Sure. Yeah, I do. Um, So (laughs) scientifically, and I'm going to talk about celiac disease first, and then I'll talk about gluten intolerance. Okay. So with celiac disease, 
We say you're reacting to gluten, but you're actually reacting. So gluten is what we call a quaternary protein. And so I'm getting super scientific here. And (laughs) that's a special protein formation in your body. In order for your body to digest a quaternary protein, like gluten, it has to break it down, okay? Sourdough starts that process of breaking down the gluten. But in celiac disease, what you're actually reacting to is the elements of that broken down protein, the thing that's already broken down. And so that's the glutenin and the gliadin, um, which are the individual little protein molecules. Um, So if you have celiac disease, you're going to react to that gluten, whether it's in the quaternary protein or if it's broken down by fermentation. Um, And so this actually makes it hard. Some people use at-home testing devices and things like that. Um, to test for the presence of gluten if they're eating out and things like that. Those are notoriously unreliable for a lot of different reasons, mostly user error, but they're definitely unreliable in the case of things that are fermented. So fermented foods that are that contain gluten. And that's because the gluten is getting broken down. And so it may not register as a gluten protein, but it's still those pieces that your body will react to if you have celiac disease. Um, so even though testing of sourdough bread, even in the like commercial high-level scientific testing lab shows that there is less gluten present, it's still not safe for the levels of individuals that have celiac disease. Not at all. So if you have celiac disease and you've been eating sourdough that is not made from gluten-free grains, which they do sell gluten-free sourdough that is made using gluten-free grains that they're fermenting doing the same sourdough process, but it never contained wheat flour, right? Um, But if you're eating sourdough made from gluten-containing grains with celiac disease and you don't notice as much of a response, that's why, but it's still creating that gluten response in your body and still causing that damage. So stay away from it. Gotcha. <laughs> um, celiac. That makes sense. If you have gluten intolerance or gluten sensitivity, mm-hmm. that's a trickier situation, right? Yeah. Um, because what are you actually reacting to? And there's a lot of unknowns. It's this kind of big unknown area of research of what exactly are you reacting to, mm-hmm. right? If you are reacting to the gluten and gliadin, it's still going to be a problem for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and many of the people that I talk to that claim to have gluten intolerance have never been tested for celiac disease, right? Mm-hmm. So my question to them is, do you know you don't have celiac? Mm-hmm. Right? Has that been ruled out for you? But if you know that gluten causes a problem, but you haven't ruled out celiac, then I would be very careful trying things like that, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. But still have gluten because what if you do have celiac, but you just don't know? That makes sense. It's going to cause problems. Can they easily um, identify that, that you have celiac disease? So easily, no. Okay. <laughs> but do they? Yes. Yeah, okay. Um, First step is screening with like blood work. Yeah. Um, and then you would go for an endoscopy, which is why I say it's not easy, yeah, right? Gotcha. These aren't fun. And they do a biopsy. You have to be eating gluten to be tested for celiac. Yeah. And you have to be eating it regularly for like yeah. six to 12 weeks. Okay. Because you have to see if it's like like present or whatever. Yeah. That's gotcha. causing damage. Those immune responses are yeah. present in your body. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. All right. So what about, I know we talked about some good alternatives for, um, for like wheat flour, but I'm going to go through a couple, um, that I've heard. 
Right. Like einkorn. Is that, is that gluten free or is that? It's gluten. It's wheat. gluten. It's wheat. It's wheat. It's an ancient wheat. It's an ancient form of wheat. Um, but it's definitely still gluten. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you're really looking at rice or in some, like you were talking about in some cases, it would be okay. Almond flour. Almond flour. Yep. Any of those alternative grains. Um, one, uh, one alternative grain that is definitely tricky that people get confused is buckwheat. Buckwheat is gluten-free. It is not at all. Gotcha. (laughs) So buckwheat's great. Quinoa is a great grain. So especially if you're looking for those really healthy, fibrous, whole grain options, Mm -hmm. right? Um, With maybe a little more protein as opposed to those refined white flours. You know, those are really great options. So what would your strategy be for someone who's looking to go gluten-free? Do you kind of like just hit it head on or do you kind of... I would say it definitely depends on why you're going gluten-free. So if you are having gut health problems, you think you may have celiac disease, I always say, please go get tested first and rule it out. Um, I think it's important to know if you have celiac disease and know what you're dealing with um, before you do go Um, Mm gluten-free. If you've been tested for celiac and you do have it, then we are gung-ho going gluten-free. We're not allowing a little bit of gluten to continue to enter your diet, right? Um, With the recognition that you kind of need to prepare yourself that you will mess up once in a while, (laughs) right? That's life. That's reality. Sometimes that will be outside your control. You'll be eating something that you could have worn with faith and then it's not and you get sick. That happens. That still happens to my husband and he's had it since he was 10, right? Right. (laughs) For like 25 years, um, more than 25 years and it still happens. Um, Yeah, but we're gung-ho going. If you do not have celiac disease, but you've definitely identified that gluten's a problem, maybe you have something else like IBS, maybe you have Hashimoto's or some type of thyroid disease, celiac's been ruled out, but you definitely feel better eating gluten-free, then really how fast we take it is up to you. Gotcha. Okay. I guess it's a lifestyle change like anything else. Um, Yeah, definitely. So what would you recommend to start with? Like, I guess, do you have any tips or encouragement, I guess, for people that are trying to start this that are kind of overwhelmed? Because like I cook for, from scratch 90% of the time. So it wasn't like so much that being an issue, but that it was still hard and overwhelming, you know? Yeah, I think the first thing to do, if your whole house is going gluten-free, um, which I don't think that that's necessarily what needs to happen. Like mm-hmm. I'll be open. We do have gluten in our house. You will see that on my YouTube channel. If you watch my videos, yeah. my kids get retested every year to three years for celiac disease and do not have it yet. They have a genetic predisposition to developing it, but that has not happened for them yet. And I let them eat gluten. Um, but in general, replace your products with gluten-free products, right? So those things that you're cooking with, even if you're going to allow gluten in your house for certain family members, all those main things you cook with, right? Worcestershire sauce, soy sauce, spices, all of that. I think it's easiest to start clearing all of that out and replacing it with gluten-free options. So it's not even a question, right? That way, when it's time to cook dinner and things are rushed and you're trying new recipes, you're not like, oh, shoot, is this the gluten-free one? I don't remember, right? It takes away all that extra thinking. We're just replacing it with things that you can have. And then beyond that, I think 
I already kind of said what I feel about those meal plans that just change completely how you eat, right? I'm not a huge fan of those. I think it's important to think about what are the most important things that my family values when it comes to food? Do we love scratch cooking? Do we like to make things in bulk and have freezer meals ready to go? Do we rely on fast food? And that's kind of what my family has done for years. And now we have to make that big change of switching to gluten-free. And so is my priority having the easiest food possible at my disposal, right? So I like to look at how you already approach food and make the switch within that, if that makes sense. Finding good alternatives for how you already prepare food and how you already eat. Do you have any tips for for someone looking to eat out or be like spontaneous trips or whatever? Or do you plan everything um, that you're going to eat before you go somewhere? Yeah, I don't plan everything I'm going to eat before I go somewhere. Um, What we do do when we're eating out is, first of all, if we get to choose the restaurant, right, if that's totally in our power, then we definitely do research ahead of time. Mm -hmm. Um, When it comes to eating out locally, I'm in a local Facebook group where people post feedback about places they've eaten gluten-free, they share their kind of personal reviews, all that type of stuff. I check that out. I look at the Find Me Gluten-Free app. That's a free app. There is a paid version, I believe. I just have the free one, the free one um, where that kind of happens on a large scale nationally, um, where people can just kind of post their restaurant reviews, whether or not they felt like the restaurant was safe with cross contact, all that type of stuff. So I start there, but I don't end there. So I look at a restaurant on there. And then if I have time, I try to call ahead the restaurant when it's not busy, right? So not during dinner rush, not during lunch rush. I try to call it like three o'clock or something and ask some questions on the phone to determine whether or not I think it will be a safe place to eat. I ask things about whether or not they use a shared fryer, what type of precautions they take. I try to ask open-ended questions so that they talk and they don't just say yes or no, right? Um, So I can kind of gauge it. So I try to do that before we eat somewhere. If that sounds like a lot of work, that's because it is. And I will be honest and say, we don't do that every time, right? So we're traveling and we've never visited this place before. And we're going to try some new places. I'll probably glance on those apps or see if there's any recommendations online from other people. Um, I may not call ahead. We may go and... But once you're there, we make our needs very clear to wait staff. We try to be really considerate. We try to let them know up front, like this is really serious for us. Don't worry. We know this is more work for you. We will tip you nicely, right? Like we try to let them know ahead of time that we're not just like expecting them to do a bajillion things. And then we're going to give them like a dollar, right? Um, We just try to take precautions, if that makes sense. Um, But no, I don't think that when you're traveling and things, you need to plan out every single meal ahead of time. But I do think it's helpful to have an idea about where you're going and what type of things are available. And it will happen to every single person who's gluten-free. You're going to go out to eat somewhere. You didn't get to pick the restaurant and there's going to be like nothing on the menu you can eat. It's going to happen. Um, We just try to bring like a snack bar or something with us so we don't starve to death, right? At a wedding, wherever it is that there's not going to be options. And we do the best we can with what we're given, right? 
sometimes the only thing that feels safe there is like a green salad with no croutons. And you even inspect the salad when you get it to see if there's crumbs because they put croutons on it and then took them back off. Right. Um, that happens and it stinks and it's not super fun, but that's how it goes. And it's just really important to advocate for yourself. Advocating for yourself will make your journey so much easier um, to, to feel comfortable voicing your needs. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so for celiac disease, it's, it really is like serious, serious. Thing. Yeah. So people with celiac disease or if you have a wheat allergy, uh-huh. it is that yeah. important, right? Yeah. To make sure that things didn't just get taken off your food or like if they deliver the breadstick on your plate when you ask for it to not be there, you kind of have to like, yeah, I need one without the breadstick on the plate. Right? Yeah, right. Um, and that's super uncomfortable, right? right? To have to say that to somebody when you ask for that and it was wrong. But I think it's just really important, especially if no matter what your dietary restriction is, right? If there's a medical reason that something needs to be cut out of your diet, no matter what that food is, I think one of the best things you can do, and if you have a kid that has that medical need, one of the best things you can do as a parent is to teach them to advocate for themselves and to feel comfortable voicing their needs, that they're not a problem, right? Um, Just by saying something that's an actual need for them and making that known and that that can be made known in a kind way, right? In a way that's nice, a way that's not you being a jerk, right? There's a balance. Definitely. Well, those are great tips. I'm really excited to have you on today because I cover a lot about whole food and cooking from scratch. So I think that this is uh, just really important because not only people have allergies, but just so many people have, like you were saying, some kind of intolerance or sensitivity to it. And like so many people that I read about that already cook from scratch are going gluten free. So this is like just really helpful. Um information. So definitely, if you are interested in going gluten-free or have to go gluten-free, check out her blog, The Helpful GF, correct? Um, Yes. All right. So I, one of the questions that I ask all of my guests, regardless of topic is, what are you learning right now? Because, so you just went through and finished your dietitian nutritionist degree. Um, What is next on like upping your skills or upping your knowledge or, and all that? That's a really great question. So, um, yeah, once you're a registered dietitian, right? I passed my board exam and all of that. That was a lot of work. My brain, <laughs> my brain felt like it was like I bet. Yeah, and doing all that schooling, honestly, as like a 35 year old, was way more than I thought it would be. I was mm-hmm. like, I have a master's degree. This is fine. It was not fine. Yeah, <laughs> it was fine. I did it, but um, yeah, I really just have found though that I love learning and I love learning more. And Mm -hmm. so as part of that requirement of being a registered dietitian, we have to do continuing education units. So I've already signed up for a couple relating specifically to celiac disease. But beyond that, um, one of the things that's on my radar for the next year is to do a special certificate program from Menashe University focusing on FODMAPs. So eating low FODMAP for IBS. So that's kind of a buzzword that we hear thrown around a lot. Um, But as difficult as a gluten-free diet can be, doing a low FODMAP diet is like (laughs) a whole nother level of difficult. Um, So I'm hoping to do that course and be trained in that to help people um, with IBS. That's awesome. I have never even heard of that, but it sounds... uh 
Is it, is it really restrictive diet? It's very restrictive. Um, yeah. So it's eliminating certain types of sugars. Oh, okay. So I could go through the whole thing, but um, mm-hmm. yeah. So part of that is eliminating gluten. So if you're doing a low FODMAP diet, you're, you've eliminated gotcha. gluten, but it's a whole lot of other things. So mm-hmm. all of those sugars that end with like OL, like sorbitol, malatol, like all those things, as well as different types of fructose. And um, so you have to restrict certain amounts of dairy and wow. that type of thing. It's super restrictive. Wow. Um, but yeah. That's awesome. Well, that's great that you're, you're such a good source of um, knowledge for alternative diets. Let's say. <laughs> um, so thank you so much for all the information. Uh, where can my audience find you? Yeah. So like you said, my website is thehelpfulgf.com. If you go there, there's a ton of recipes. I review a lot of products, um, which ones taste the best, that type of things. So you don't have to waste right. your money on them. Um, I also have like travel guides on there and stuff for different places I've been or um, other people have written for me based on their experiences there. Um, So all that's on my website, as well as a gluten-free eating style quiz that will send you special recipes and tips for making the transition. Um, And I also just launched my YouTube channel. So you can find that I'm on YouTube as Helpful GF. So you can find me there too. Yeah, definitely. Oh, well, definitely check her out um, if you're in the need for recipes that are gluten-free because I am definitely scouring your website and getting all kinds of good information. So thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me for this episode. To help others find and enjoy this podcast, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a comment and five-star review. You can also find me over on the blog at Winging It on the Homestead or on Facebook and Instagram. You can also grab the Ultimate Vegetable Guidebook over at www.savemyveggies.com. 